to thank you so much for this time and this moment. And Lord, we want to ask you to just special blessings for Ted, for being an example, a representative, and for sharing your words, Lord. And Lord, we ask right now that you touch our ears, that we can hear the things that you want us to hear. Touch our eyes, Lord God, that we will see through your eyes the things that you want us to see, Lord. Lord, we want to open up our minds and our hearts to learn this evening. We thank you for traveling mercies. We thank you, Lord, that we are here this evening and that you have provided this wonderful place for us, Lord, to learn more about you and how we will share you in the marketplace, Lord. So we thank you so much for our leaders. We just want to bless your name. We want to thank you for giving your best. And this evening, we choose to give our best because we love you, Lord, in our spirits, in our minds, in our hearts, and our bodies. And if you agree, please say amen. folks. Um, and I want to start out with um, some reviewing. Okay? So I have a question. Uh, what did we cover last week? What was the assignment we gave you, first of all? Pray for three people. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, um, and remember, this class is, is the, the grade is really practical, okay? So Jesus continually said uh, that um, if you have a problem believing my words, then believe on behalf of the works I do, the miracles. So Jesus put forth his works as a testimony of who he was. So that's the basis of this class. So we want to make it very, very practical to do what Jesus did in even greater works. Okay, no pressure on anybody. Um, but does anybody have any reports, any, any, any testimonies, someone you've been praying for? relationship with the first doctor. I actually got to meet with her and uh, just let her know. And I'm just looking forward to sharing the Lord with her because I'm a fitness instructor and she's planning on coming to one of my classes. So, so you started praying and now you're not mad at him anymore. Now no, you're blessed. I, she, I, she blessed me. All my that's awesome. God is so good. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. That's, that's exactly it. Wow. That's a perfect segue into uh, uh, our review. Does everyone have the notes? Okay. Um, what are the four steps, the steps uh, that we lined of prayer evangelism? Anybody remember? What? 
Well, you move this, uh, that moves. Yeah, okay. What, what? What's number? Awesome, yes. So step number one, that's a perfect example of it. Step number one, she began to bless. And when you bless, you know, the first thing that needs to change is us, and our hearts change. And then that opens up the door to fellowship, because no one wants to fellowship, or, or no one wants to be a friend with someone who hates them. So if she has secretly despised your doctor, they're not going to want to be nice to you. <laughs> I mean, unless they have other motives, okay? Uh, anybody else want to share a report uh, or a testimony, um, either of the assignment or even of uh, what you received in the class? Uh, no, no, no. Shy person behind you first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then you can go next. Hey, can, do you mind coming to the front? Oh, we're live streaming this and recording this, by the way. Because you either need to go to the front or I can come stand by you because this is where the mic is. So it won't make sense unless you're somewhat close to the mic. Okay. Okay. Um, and your name? Laura. Laura. Um, Are you one of the cops? What's that? No. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, my experience has been, I mean, I, the Lord gave me the three specific people, and my warfare has been extremely with one of the, with one of the persons that I'm praying for, and um, she's related to me, and so I see her very closely. She went, she's depressed, all of a sudden from one day to the other, extremely depressed, I mean, suicidal, um, but but I'm seeing, I know that the victory is coming, you know? She's gonna get um, uh, uh, saved up, you know, from the Lord. The Lord's gonna Amen. redeem her. And I see, it, I mean, it's just heavy, but the more, the heavier it gets, the more I pray for her. And I just, I just see the victory coming around the corner. And that's why I pray into her. And I tell her, you know, just press on, it's coming. But okay. if, when I wasn't praying, she was fine. You know what I mean? When I wasn't praying she, strictly. She wasn't depressed or? She wasn't, well, no, not, not, not like this. Okay, so in other words, you started praying, but she didn't, wasn't really, did she know the Lord or? Yeah, she knows the Lord. So you started praying for her and it's getting worse. Okay, so yeah. we're, we're, but we're believing that it's yes. getting worse because something's because coming something's out. something's coming, yes. 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 yes, absolutely. Yeah, so why don't we, uh, what if we prayed for her right now? Yes, That'd be I would cool. love that, yes. Are you comfortable sharing her name, or should we just pray for her? No, I, I could say her name. Okay, what's her name? Lorena. Lorena. All right, extend your hands. Let's pray for Lorena. Lord, we just bring Lorena before you, Father. Lord, and we just pray, Lord, uh, uh, Lord, Lord, we just spend, send your blessings, Father, and take authority over depression, yes. Lord, in this darkness, Lord. And we break it off of her now in the name of Jesus, Lord. Let her see your light and your joy and your love, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord. Lord, Lord, just draw near to her, Father God, Lord, like never before, Father. And Lord, we just we take authority over darkness and over depression, and we kick you out in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Well, we're going to keep praying yes. and keep pushing through. Uh, you have a. Uh, can you? Do you mind coming to the front? I know you're not shy. I'm Rosie Adams, and I have been praying for three people, and um, some of them are my family, but they live in Mexico. 
So it's kind of hard to share with them and to bring them to cabin here. However, I have two sisters that they are, uh, they are, they have mental problems and usually when I call them, it's very difficult to get in touch with them because sometimes they don't have a telephone or they don't answer, they don't know who's calling. And last week I had the privilege to sharing the gospel with one of them, but they are like a little children. They don't really comprehend a lot. And she was like, she thought she knew about God, but I don't think she knew. And I didn't know she didn't know. So I started explaining and I asked if she wanted to receive God in her life. And she says, yes. I don't think she understands everything because mentally she cannot comprehend it, but she did give her life to Christ. And I well, it's not the mind with which someone's saved. It's mm -hmm. the spirit. Thank you, God, because that scares me like crazy. And the other thing is there are two people that I uh, wasn't really praying for them, but I do teach uh, in a Bible class on Tuesdays mornings. And uh, one of them is my relative, uh, kind of relative, my, through my sisters, her sister-in-law. And in a conversation on Sunday, they were talking about God. I hear this woman saying that she needs God. She's going through depression. And I'm in the other side of the table, but I'm really nosy people. So I'm hearing everything <laughs> that's going on. And I jump in in the conversation. And yes, and I told her, you know, this is a divine appointment. We think this is coincidence, but this is a divine appointment. And I invited her to come today to our Bible class. And I was going to teach about Romans uh, 12. And I said, no, she needs to hear something different. And I was praying yesterday, what can I teach? And God told me very clear, speak about the truth. And I said, okay. So I rounded out for the truth because I have another group that are more advanced. But I focused it, and today she received Christ. And wow. Hallelujah. 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 All right. Well, who wants to pray for these people you just mentioned? Uh, we can so, do you want to pray? Who wants to pray? Okay, Amy. Amy, come up here. Lay hands on her and pray. Everybody extend your hands. Her name is Cynthia and Maria. Oh, Father, we just lift up Cynthia and Maria to you right now. We just ask that all the seeds that have been planted in their life would just take root and just bear fruit right now. That the spirit, that their bodies would be lined up under their souls, that their souls would be lined up under their spirit, that their bodies would be lined up under their souls, their souls would be lined up under their spirit, and their spirits would be completely lined up under the Holy Spirit, that you would sign, seal, and deliver each one of these women, and that they would fulfill their plans and purposes that you have for each one of them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 I also feel to, to you can go sit down, but I also feel to really encourage you to, uh, you know, I mean, the Bible says, unless you become like a child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you're a relative in Mexico who you said is very, yeah, your sister is very childlike. Don't, don't diminish what the Lord's done. You know, in fact, the Bible very, very clearly says that we need to become like children. So if she has childlike faith like a child, and she, you know, expressed a prayer, God is going to honor that. And we can't figure it all out, but I know that God honors those prayers, and it's not in the power of, you know, it's not about us. We agree. We agree with God. It's his work through us. And in that case, she agreed with you, and you prayed for her, and she opened up her spirit. So the Bible says she's saved. So that's, that's good enough for me. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, so uh, I wanted to go a little bit more into Luke chapter 10, um, which is where we get prayer evangelism from. 
and um, uh, to go deeper in the review, and then just to give you an overview of what we're going to cover today, you have your notes here. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about prayer evangelism in the first hour and share some, report, uh, some, some more reports and uh, open up Luke chapter 10. But then the word that the Lord gave me uh, after I was praying uh, last week, you know, and, and I loved last week. I was fired up. Um, the Lord, b before we go any further, you know, uh, uh, you know, before we really dive into the content matter, I felt the word he gave me was holiness. So I want to talk more about holiness uh, because that's the foundation. That's the foundation of everything. I said transformation begins with you. And, you know, it's knowing him, getting closer with him, and uh, that's what it's all about. Amen? So that's what we're going to cover today. More on prayer evangelism from Luke chapter 10. Then we'll have a break. And then, uh, then we're going to go there um, uh, and talk about holiness, talk more about Gideon and compare Gideon to Jesus. All right. So um, for those of you who arrived uh, later, um, like I said last week, the subject matter for this book, for, for this class, the class is on bringing transformation into the marketplace, transforming culture, and um, kind of the framework, three books written by Dr. Ed Savoso, who is the president and founder of Transform Our World. That's the ministry I've been with for 22 years, based here in San Jose, working all over the globe. Incredible, amazing stories. Um, and these are like, these are pretty much a series. They build upon each other. This one is really foundational, and I felt for this class, if you have not read this book yet, this is what you'd benefit the most from of reading. And after you read this, I guarantee you, you'll also want to read Transformation and his latest book, Ecclesia. Um, but this talks about the call of God into the marketplace. How many people are in full-time uh, church ministry? Just me. So that means all of you are in, how many are in full-time ministry? Okay, how many did not raise their hands? Okay, all Christians are in full-time ministry, and that's why you need to read this book. Because you are called into full-time ministry and your workplace, your job, wherever you're at, is your missions field. It is your parish. And the sheep that need the shepherd the most are not the found sheep. If they're in church on Sunday, hey, 80, 90, I mean, you know, you know the anointing in there. If you get in there, it's hard to go to hell from that, that, that room on Sunday morning, okay? 90, 95% of the work is already done. The sheep that need a shepherd the most are the lost sheep. And who are the shepherds of the lost sheep? Where are the lost sheep? In the marketplace. It's the people the Lord's put around you. So you come to church on Sunday not to be pastored, but to be discipled. Pastoring happens in that context. Yes, we all need to be pastored. I get pastored. But come and be a disciple because you're in marketplace ministry. You're in ministry 24-7, Monday through Saturday. Amen? So uh, we have this book here. It's for sale, uh, um, $15. Uh, they're all $15. This is kind of required reading for the class. And these are strongly recommended reading for the class. I don't want to overwhelm you with a lot of, you know, with too much uh, work, Okay. But um, that's what we have there. All right, so um, what are we talking about now? Hey, everyone go to Luke chapter 10, okay? Luke is in the Gospels, 
And Luke chapter 10 is right after Luke 9. So in Luke 10, uh, very quickly, um, in, in, in Luke 9, Jesus is really depressed. In fact, he gets so upset, he says in 9 verse 41, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I stay with you and put up with you? It sounds so nice in the translation, but he's bawling him out. He's saying, you are a bunch of unbelieving perverts. I'm sick and tired of you. So what ticked Jesus off so much? Their unbelief. Okay, well, let me tell you the story. They had just come down. They were up at the, the Mount of Transfiguration. They come down from that, and there's a demon-possessed boy, and um, they couldn't heal him. Now, earlier, in, at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus takes his 12 disciples, and he sends them out, and he gives them essentially the same instructions that we're going to talk about. He sends them out ahead of them, and they came back, and they reported everything that they had done. So they were very self-centered upon their own works. Well, then, he's trying to get, get through to them a little bit more. So he takes, uh, he takes the three up to the Mount of Transfiguration. So when they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appear. They see the glorious splendor. You see, because God, Jesus realized that they were doing the works, but their hearts weren't pure. They didn't love the lost. You can see that throughout the chapter. And so when the glory of the Lord appears, Peter has this great idea and says, hey, let's build a tabernacle. Let's, let's monumentalize this. Let's, isn't it good for us to be here? Let's go have a spiritual retreat point so we can be wonderful and be all fine with Jesus. But they weren't sharing the compassion that Jesus had for the lost. Well, then they come down off the hill, and I imagine Jesus is thinking, man, Okay, at least I got 12 disciples. Three out of the 12. Maybe I can replace them. I still got nine. <laughs> he gets off there. And it says, When they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. The spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And right after that, Jesus says, you unbelieving perverts. I want to go back up to... Cards full. full. Pause. One moment. I'm going to put a new card in the camera. Commercial break. Pray this card works. If that doesn't work, just don't worry about it. We're capturing it the other way. All right. So... 
Uh, the program will now resume with our regular scheduled programming. So he's, he, the, it comes back and he says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And Jesus gets really upset. He balls them out and he says, I want to go back up to heaven. I'm so tired of hanging out with you guys. And then he says, bring your son to me. And then he heals the boy. So why was Jesus so mad that they couldn't heal this boy? Well, I want to just, just submit to you that something more is going on here. He had already sent the 12 out, and they had, you know, performed miracles. But then when they came back, they reported about what they had done. So it was very self-centered and focused on themselves, not focused on the people, and not understanding the Lord. And so then you see right after that, when he feeds the 5,000, they, Jesus has compassion for the 5,000, but the disciples despise them. They wish they weren't there. It's such a picture of religion. They want it for themselves, but they don't care for the lost. And then the, you have to see the picture. He's coming down off the mountain. And, when, and then again, when Peter saw the glory of the Lord speaking and representative of the heart of these disciples at the time where they were at, very much wants to monumentalize the glory of the Lord, but he doesn't care about the multitudes that are out there that don't know the Lord, that don't know Jesus. See, it's all about them. And see, what you have to realize, when they come off the mountain, these are the same disciples who'd gone out and were so proud of the miracles and what they'd been able to do on behalf of Jesus. But it was the Father who was having to cry out to Jesus Anna says, Anna says he had to call out. So the father is having to get Jesus' attention. Who is not getting Jesus' attention? You see? It's not like he's mad that they didn't, they didn't succeed. He's mad that they didn't succeed. They had bragged about what great people they are, and then they were covering it up keeping him in the back, trying to get him to shut up. You know, oh, I hope Jesus doesn't find out about this because we'll look bad. Why didn't the disciples, as soon as Jesus come down, why didn't they say, hey, you know, sorry we weren't able to help you, but Jesus is coming back. Why didn't they bring him right to them? Why didn't they say, hey, Jesus, here's a case we weren't able to help, but the son, you know, why didn't they feel compassion for him? You see, it was their hearts that he was discerning. So you can see it right after that. Jesus starts to tell them about his death, and Peter takes him aside and says, oh, Jesus, don't worry about it. You're not going to have to die. That'll never happen to you. Again, Peter, with good motives, patting Jesus on the back and saying, no, you're not going to have to go to the cross. And Jesus says, in the, in the, in the parallel passage, he doesn't say it here, he says, get behind me, Satan. He calls Jesus Satan. He calls Peter Satan. Jesus calls Peter Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why was Peter so blinded? Because, again, he loved what the gospel, what Jesus did for him, but he hadn't caught Jesus' heart for the lost. So anyways, Jesus sidelines them, forbids them from preaching, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he calls up the 72. Uh, this is the beginning of Luke chapter 10. Are you all there? Yes. 
It says, After this, the Lord anointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Great. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the weak workers are few. Okay? So you'll see your first question there. And you get to fill in the blanks. See, I'm learning. I like the, I, you know, we come here, I love the fill in the blank notes they give. My kids and I play a sermon, uh, my boys and I play sermon bingo. <laughs> we try to guess the words and then we keep track if we got them right or wrong. <laughs> okay. The harvest is blank. What is it? Someone fill it in. Is what? Plentiful, but the workers are, choose one of these, A, B, or C. A, they're not sufficient. B, they're inadequate. C, they're not equipped. Which one of those three? Oh, that was a trick question. It's none of the above. It's none of those. It's few. Well, that's, that's, that's in English. Okay. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I specifically put that trick question in there to play with your mind, to get you to think of it in a different way. He doesn't mean that there is not sufficient workers. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say they're not enough. He says they're few. He doesn't mean that they're inadequate. And it doesn't say that they're not equipped. Okay, you got to put yourself in the culture of the time. This is a farming culture. The last thing a farmer is, the farmer, his whole livelihood is based upon this crop. And when the crop becomes ripe and ready to harvest, he has a limited time to bring it in. And if you don't bring it in, you lose it. So the farmer is going to have enough workers to bring in that harvest. He does, he's never going to make that mistake that he doesn't have enough workers. When he's saying the harvest is few, what he's saying is we don't have the luxury to have a professional harvesting class where 20% of the people go out and do all the harvesting and 80% of the people just come and sit on their butts on Sunday in the church service while 20% do all the work. What he's saying is the workers are few, therefore everybody has to go out and do it. What would they immediately think? Oh, the kids are needed. It doesn't matter how young you are. We're all learning. It's harvest time. We're going to make it a party. Grandma's there. Great grandma's there. We're all working together. We bring in workers. We help our neighbors because we have a limited amount of time and our whole livelihood for the year depends upon this. So we have to bring in this harvest. Isn't this exciting? That's what Jesus is saying. The harvest in the Bay Area is plentiful. But the workers are few. That means we don't have the luxury to have a professional clergy class that does all the ministry. Everybody needs to get out. Oh, hallelujah. Do you guys get it? Do you see it? You see the paradigm shift? You're allowed to, Albert, shout. He's black, so shout hallelujah. Jump out of your seat. Yeah, you can jump up. You can run around, okay? Talk back to me, okay? Okay, so the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into the field. What he's saying is go. Go therefore. Ask the Lord of the harvest and go. It's not hiding. In, I mean, we always interpret this as 
pray for Christian to show up because even, oh, you told me you're going to be late. I'm so glad you're here. You're awesome, Christian. I love Christian. Give Christian a hand clap. We always interpret this, right? We always interpret this as, you know, um, we need Sunday school teachers. So let's pray. Harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Pray for more workers in the church. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the harvest is plentiful all over the city. So get out of the four walls of the church. Go out and bring it in. Pray and go. Now he gives them the instructions. Verse 5, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. So we talk to God about our neighbors before we talk to our neighbors about God. We begin to bless. Bless, don't blast. Bless them rather than cursing them. Now, how many of you have been guilty of cursing your neighbors? Okay. The problem with cursing isn't that I mean, I don't think anyone, you know, bought like a black cat, you know, and like, you know, did something nasty to curse them. I don't think we don't do it that way, but we do it with our words. But the problem with our words is a lot of times it's true, you know, like we're saying the truth. But if we speak the truth without grace, we're binding them to that. And we've got to speak blessing. We've got to come in the opposite spirit. And when we begin to bless people, it changes the spiritual climate. Now there's more going on. There's power in your words. Because look at what the next verse says. If someone who promotes peace, I've never read this translation before. I always, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. In other words, it's something tangible that you're imparting. Because if they receive it, you'll know. And if not, it'll return to you and you'll feel it. Well, we've seen this over and over. As you begin to pray, you change the spiritual climate. Okay? Then the next step, it says, Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered you. We use the word fellowship. What happens when you begin to bless, the spiritual climate changes, and now that doctor opens up. And because you like them, they like you, right? And now you can build a relationship. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Wow, that's so powerful, folks. And I want to, uh, uh, what was your question? Elizabeth had asked me a question about what ministry was like in Portugal. I'm going to tell you a, a lesson I learned ministering in Portugal. This was years back when, this is before I was married. I was playing basketball in Portugal and I was working with missionaries there. And so I got to hang out with a lot of sinners because the Portuguese are officially Catholic, but their religion is pretty much sin, sinners. <laughs> so um, uh, this, uh, uh, this, this man who was the father of a player on the team, really cool guy, he had an art gallery, he sold art, and I just, I loved hanging out with him. He told me the story once when he was going through a divorce and uh, he was going through a really, really hard time and he was very depressed and he was drinking too much. And once he was um, downstairs in the cafe at the bottom of the house they live in, they, they generally live in, uh, you know, high-rise houses and, you know, there's cafes all over in Europe and in Portugal. And anyways, he was there and he had had a little bit too much to drink. In fact, a lot too much to drink. He was totally drunk. And they had called up 
his son. Okay, so his son, who's a big basketball player, you know, probably a teenager at that time, has to come down and take control of his dad, who's totally, totally embarrassing himself because he's drunk. And this is what his son did. He wasn't a believer, but the Lord, neither of them were believers, but the Lord spoke to me so powerfully. The son came down, he sat next to his dad, and he said, two more. And he had a drink with his dad in front of everybody. And then picked his dad up and carried him out. And the father was telling me how deeply that ministered to him. Because here he is knowing what an idiot he's making of himself, embarrassing himself in front of all of his... And the son's embarrassed, wants to come down. Well, I don't, you know, don't want to be seen with this drunkard. But no, he didn't act like that. He came down and sat with him and he said, if my dad's drinking, if my dad's a drunkard, I'm identifying with the sinners. The Lord spoke to me about that so powerfully to see the character of Jesus, of what it means when he identifies with us. Yes, we're like that drunken dad who's got all this pain and we're covering up and just you know, going through this hard time and making fools of ourselves. And somebody needs to come slap us around and make us get our lives together. But Jesus, before he does that, he sits down there and he identifies with us. Wow. To me, that's what it means to be a friend of sinners. And this unbeliever was preaching the gospel to me so powerfully of what God did for us. He doesn't just come. He doesn't just come like cops and embarrass us and beat us up. He comes down like that sun came down and said, I'm not embarrassed. This is my dad and I'm owning it. And he's a person. And if, he's, if you're going to ridicule him, you're going to ridicule me. Oh man, that's so beautiful. So we got to be a friend of sinners. Eat and drink what... I am not endorsing drinking hard liquor <laughs> nor buying a drink for, your, <laughs> for someone who's drunk. I'm, not, I'm making a point, okay? Eat and drink whatever's put in front of you. Be a friend of sinners. And you know what happens? When you begin to pray and you begin to bless, the spiritual climate changes. And then when you're a friend of sinners, what's going to happen? They're going to they're open up to you. They're going to open up their hearts. They're going to come and, you know, uh, you say, hey, how are you doing? And they'll say, oh, I'm not doing so well today. Oh, tell me what's going on. Oh, man, we've got to deal with our parents, my, my, my husband's parents, and they're not doing so well, and they're ill, and it's right in the middle of Trader Joe's. Why is this person opening up? Because I bless them. I live a lifestyle of blessing. And now I like them. I'm connecting with them. They're my friend. They open up. And when they open up and they share their need, what do you do next? It says, heal the sick that are there. In another translation, in another, it says, heal the sick, cast out the devil. <laughs> minister to their need. You see, they open up their heart. Now, minister the power of God. And they might say, you know, offer to pray for them. And they might say, well, I don't believe in prayer. You go, well, you don't have to believe in prayer. I believe in prayer. Well, I don't know how to pray. Well, you don't have to pray. I'm going to pray. Well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. Don't worry about that. When I'm done, you will. <laughs> and then when we pray, what happens? I'm going to give you a really shocking revelation God's going to answer those prayers. 
We're going to pray. And you know what? Even if he doesn't, that's on him. Our job is to pray. It's his job to answer. And I, I, I mean, I've rarely had anybody turn me down when I do this. So step number one, bless. Step number two, fellowship. Be a friend of sinners. Step number three, minister. And step number four is now, now that you've blessed, now that you've fellowshiped, now that you've ministered to them, now you can proclaim. Okay? So another trick question. Do we give them an invitation to come into the church or do we bring the kingdom of God to them? Yeah, the best answer is probably both. But I want you to see, I want you to fully understand this. I want you to realize that this is a paradigm shift that we need to make. Because before, the way we've understood evangelism, it's been very much about facts that I need to explain to you. And before I can tell you that you need a savior, I've got to convince you that you're a sinner. The problem with that is twofold. One, I mean, like Ed Savosa says in one of these books, it's like giving good kisses with bad breath. <laughs> Nobody wants seconds. <laughs> We're telling the truth, but yeah, if you tell somebody they're a sinner, it's like, you know, the drunk dad. Go down and ball him out and tell him what an idiot. I mean, he could have gone down there in front of everyone and said, Dad, you're disgracing me. And just, you know, add humiliation to it. He already knows he's an idiot. But if we show mercy, if we show grace, they'll be more open. The other thing, the other problem, so one problem with it is that we're telling the truth but without grace and nobody wants to hear us because why should I listen to you? The other problem with it is it's all theoretical. Just talk, I mean, you know, it's just, just, just words. It's just, you know. And even if we do convince somebody, they get saved, and now we say, okay, come into church, and, you know, I mean, let's wait. Let's see if you're really saved, if you stick it out for a year. Then go to a new believer's class, and then eventually we'll let you get baptized, and we'll say you're official. You know, and then years later, they were convinced, but were they really converted? They've been in the church all these years, but they're still, you know, dealing with, you know, they're still cutting shady business dealers. They're still addicted to porn. You know, they're still, you know, a, a broken person. Because if we only address their mind, they can get convinced. But have they really encountered the power of God to be converted? You see, if we do it Jesus' way, rather than beginning with trying to engage them with their mind, if we do what he says, what you're doing is your first blessing that's changing the spiritual climate. They're experiencing something. They like it. Then you're fellowshipping. They have a relationship with you. They like you. You're their friend. Now you're praying for them. They get a power encounter. Like, what just happened? I wasn't looking for God. You know, like we, uh, we like to pray for, for waiters, okay, and waitresses. We were praying for a waitress, um, and we asked, what do you, what, what's your need? And she said, uh, I want a new car. So we said, okay, what color? Red. I think she was just playing with us. So we said, okay, hey, we're going to pray for the food right now. Let us pray. And we grabbed her hands, and before she could say no, we prayed. <laughs> she came back later, and she said, hey, let me share something else. Because we would prayed and opened up her heart and shared a real deep need with her. Because we would prayed for this other need. See, when you pray, they experience the power of God. 
And then after they've experienced the power of God, now you're just explaining to them what they've already experienced. You're bringing the kingdom of God to them. And that's why it says, declare that the kingdom of God has come to them. So it's not about trying to bring people into us. It's not about an us versus them. It's about Jesus who died for everybody and us bringing the gospel and the love of Jesus out there and demonstrating his love before we tell them about the theory that drives us. So that when they experience it, it's not a theory. It's not just an idea. It's something that they've touched. Amen? All right, any questions? Um, so, the next, okay, I, I'll, I'll give a couple, a couple more examples. We were in, um, this really works, okay? So we were with a group of intercessors. Uh, Greg wasn't there yet. Albert was there, remember? When we went down to Hollister, and you were sounding the shofar on the top of the mountain. So we went to Hollister. We're praying on the top of the mountain. We were blessing the whole city. Sounded the shofar there and just praying over the city. And uh, we were just doing it at the, the park in the center of the city, which is like a little hill, and there's people over there having a barbecue. This guy comes up to us meekly afterwards and, and asks for prayer. Why? Because we are blessing. So immediately when he comes up, we engage with him. We start talking to him, you know, hear about his life. And, and he wanted to get his life straight. So, I mean, there was process worked pretty quick. You want prayer? Okay, how can we pray for you? You want to get your life straight? Okay, well... Give your life to Jesus, and you receive Jesus right there. Super cool, okay? Another example of this, um, I, was, <laughs> I was driving in my uh, little Prius down over on Almaden, uh, no, on, on Blossom Hill, uh, and right, uh, right where you turn on to Santa Teresa, and a guy came up to me, and I mean, you know, we have teenage kids, so our you know, our car was dinged. In fact, it was dinged when we bought it, and we just figured, hey, let's buy it pre-dinged, because if <laughs> they're going to take care of it. So he's like, hey, I can fix that up. And I'm like, I don't want this guy to fix it up, and I don't really think he knows how, but I just felt like, okay, let's listen to him. So to me, it's not about the car. Who cares about the car? It's about him. So I, oh, all right, okay. So I started talking to him. I pulled over, and there in the, in the, in the, um, in the parking lot of In-N-Out, you know, I let him start he said, oh, I can fix this. Boom, boom. He started doing this stuff. And it looked nice and shiny. I mean, now it, he messed it all up, but don't worry about that. <laughs> He's fixing it, making it all, and I just start talking to him. So I'm blessing him, because I bless people all the time. So now I'm fellowshipping with him. I'm hanging out with him. He wanted, I can't remember how much I paid him, okay? But I'm just, you know, to me, it's just an excuse to talk with him. And I start talking to him, and I just feel the presence of the Lord there. So I just start telling him what I'm sensing. The guy just starts bawling. He starts weeping. I mean, the Lord was just giving me words for him. Prophetic words. But it wasn't like, you know, a weird thing. I was just talking and telling him what I sensed and what I saw coming. <laughs> he ends up right there and in and out. I, start, I said, you've got to give your life back to the Lord. I mean, you know, it's time. What are you doing? What are you wasting? Oh, yeah, I used to be in the church. <laughs> on and on like that. He ends up praying to rededicate his life to the Lord right there and in and out. He's bawling on my shoulder right there. And I'm like, oh, God bless you. <laughs> it's powerful. It's powerful. God, God answers our prayer. Okay. 
Prairie evangelism works best as a blank, not just a... The second one is a method, okay? Uh, I was meant to delete method and then put the blank there, but I just put the blank after, so just repeat method, okay? First one, it's got to be a lifestyle, okay? If this is another... Can we shut the door? Um... If this is just another methodology and we don't catch the love of God for the lost and for the sinners, and if this doesn't become a lifestyle, what I've seen over and over again is, is, is we're so focused on a methodology, we're so focused on what we do that we miss the essence of it, okay? And if you get anything out of this, it's the love of Jesus for the lost that we need to have. Is that what drives us? I mean, for me, the big breakthrough, I used to hear my friends sharing about this, you know, all the time. I had a friend, Ray Jovio. Ray, call me. You're watching this. I know you're watching this. Call me. I have a word for you. I miss you. Okay. And he'd be sharing these stories. And I'm like, oh, I want to be like Ray. We'd go into a, uh, we'd go into a restaurant I mean, Ray was like the most effective personal evangelist I've ever seen. We'd go into a hotel in Argentina when we were having our conference there, and I mean, he, you know, we'd be eating in the restaurant, he'd start talking to the waiter, he'd talk to the waiter's friend, he talked to, it helped that he spoke, I mean, he's from uh, uh, Cuba, and he speaks really, really good Spanish, you know. Um, but he'd just talk to anybody, English or Spanish, and he'd end up leading the whole restaurant to the Lord, and then he'd end lead, you know, the, the, the whole hotel staff to the Lord. Then he'd end up somehow leading the, 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 the hotel manager to the Lord. We'd end up having a baptism in the hotel pool. And I was like, oh God, I want to be like that. But I'm just, you know, and I try and I try and I'm just, but I'm just, I'm just, and I'd like, I was filled with anxiety. I'm like, oh, I wanted to be more like Ray. I thought, man, if I could be more like Ray, then that'd be really cool, you know because I'm cool in so many other ways, I'm taller than him, you know? <laughs> but when I was focused on the method, it's like I was stuck, and then I'd always feel guilty. Oh, I didn't. Oh, and then, you know, understanding the principles and pushing yourself to go to the next level, you know, okay, if you're, that's good, okay? It's good to say, okay, let me just start where I'm at. All right, I'm not doing it, but let me begin by blessing people. Okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to talk to people. Let me begin by blessing people. Okay, now I'm blessing people. I'm comfortable with that. Okay, now let me try to engage with them. Let me talk to them. Okay, now that I'm comfortable talking to them, let me look for the opportunity to offer to pray for them. Okay, and now after I'm praying for them, let me, let me ask them if they want to receive the Lord. Okay? Focus, the, the steps are really good, and that's helpful to follow that. But for me, the real breakthrough came is when I just focused on loving people. It's like, oh, Lord, I really like people. I think they're interesting. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. It's like, it really... And like when I just let go of the burden of trying to walk out this, you know, these steps of my own strength and just let God, let me be myself and let me love people. So, blessing, I love to pray. So I just pray all the time and I'm blessing people all the time. Okay, I can do that. Okay, now let me look for opportunities to talk to people. So now it annoys my wife and my kids because I'm always joking with the people, with the, 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 the employees at Trader Joe's, you know. But I like them. I'm interested in them. Let me talk to them. I love them. 
And then, you know, when you begin to focus on the, the love of God, there's not an us versus them. We've got to break down that dividing wall. What the Bible said is he's, you know, God to, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. That was where the world was divided back then. We are all, Satan wants to divide us. Folks, our nation is divided. We're black, we're white, we're with Trump, we're not with Trump. Wow, right? We could, just, we could start a big argument in here just talking about politics, couldn't we? But God broke the dividing wall. We have to go deeper than that and let his love baptize us. That's why Jesus was so upset with Peter. That's why Peter was so blinded until after Pentecost. Because he wanted Jesus, he wanted all the benefits that came with him, but he didn't have Jesus' heart for the lost. So he couldn't discern the death of Jesus Christ. He couldn't discern the sacrifice that he had to pay. So these are... Any questions? You know you're allowed to shout out a question at any time. Any questions so far? Any comments? Yes, Christian. Oh, um, now just, just for transparency's sake, because I believe in honesty, I may be mixing up more than one story. <laughs> but what I'm telling is true, okay? Uh, there was a waitress, we were praying for him or her, and this is quite, this often happens. They're kind of like, oh, you want to pray for me? Okay, hey, give me a car. And so we, like, we took it seriously. Okay, you want a car? All right. Okay, what color? Uh, red. So we prayed, and uh, we just prayed right there. Just That's what we do, you know. Let them opt out rather than give it, making them opt in, okay? <laughs> okay, it just happened. And, and what happens is the Spirit flows and touches them. And then she came back later with tears in her eyes, and I think she shared about a real need that she was going through, like, you know, and said, and I don't know if we ended up leading her to the Lord, but I know we prayed for her. If Ray was there, she probably got led to the Lord. I, I told him to you told Ray? Is he watching? No, <laughs> Invite him on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, any other questions? Okay. These are guiding principles versus a rigid plan. Okay? One thing we say is begin, get started, and then follow the trail. And let me tell you a story of how this has worked for me. Okay? And then we'll break. Um, I talked about some of the pain here in the Bay Area last week. Remember? Yes. Uh, does anybody remember what is the, uh, what is, how does, how does smart people define hunger in uh, modern society? Do you guys remember that? I talked about it last week. Did you take notes? Come on. What? Food insecurity. Did I mention that? The way hunger is like defined is as it's called food insecurity. That's how they measure it. Food insecurity is moderate. No, is 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 mild, moderate, and severe. Okay. So the technical definition of mild food insecurity is uh, that means at one point they measure it over a year. I think the last year they have statistics for it, at least that I've seen is 2016. 
And so mild food insecurity means that a household does not have enough food, uh, not enough money to put food on the table. So it means someone is having to decide whether to pay an electric bill or to buy groceries, okay? So, um, if, so food insecurity, does anybody remember what the national rate of food insecurity is? One in eight. One in eight households in the U.S. in 2016. Okay? Does anybody remember what the food insecurity rate is in the Bay Area? One in four. One in four. It is double the national average. That's right in our zip code. That's right down the street from my house where the, the house next door is like 900,000. I mean, it's crazy. The face of it is often single moms working multiple jobs. Um, you know, they have multiple kids. A five-year-old is watching a two-year-old and they have a bag of chips. And this is uh, really, really difficult in the summer because the kids aren't in school, so they don't have the lunches there from the school. It's real, okay? It's one in four. Um, so uh, I have a friend of mine, Jim Johnson. Jim Johnson, you're awesome if you're watching this. And, uh, you know, he lives a lifestyle of prayer evangelism. Okay? He just likes to do it. So, uh, there was a f years back, uh, how long ago was it when there was a fire in the Santa Cruz Mountains? Three years. No, it was more like seven years. Yeah, well, anyways, a few years back. Um, so, afterwards, he, you know, an opportunity, went out there, got to help out the people who'd been displaced. They needed food. So uh, Trader Joe's got involved, and they were donating food. He was picking up food from Trader Joe's, started giving it to them. And um, uh, then after that was done and those people no longer needed the food, he says, well, hey, I'm gonna, I'll find somebody else who needs it. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And um, so now I've been doing this for about two years now, I think. A year. A year. A year. So every Sunday night I go, and we got started because um, I was telling him to, I was inviting him to support our ministry. And he says, oh, I don't know if I can support your ministry, but you need food. I, I, everybody likes food. He says, here, I'll, and he told me about the ministry. I'm like, okay, that sounds like fun. So every other Sunday night, I'll go to Trader Joe's at 1030, pack my van full of food, and take it back to my house. And then we have a network of intercessors that come by. Greg helps me out. He's awesome. And we just give it away, and they go and give it to others. Okay? It's beautiful. Um, and we call it prayer and groceries. So uh, this is like the boy with a few loaves and the five fishes. There's one in four households need food. I don't know if we have enough for all of them, but we pray for it and ask the Lord to multiply it. It's been really, really fun. It's been really, really cool. And it's, it's an expression. It's part of the lifestyle of prayer evangelism. So one thing that began to touch me is to see the face of food insecurity. So one lady who I had known for a long time is super awesome and cool. She, in the church, professional, you want to pick her, I mean, you pick her out as someone who's a great mom and wonderful. Um, and uh, her husband, had, she's a divorcee, her husband had divorced her a few years back. She started coming and we were praying for her and giving her groceries. It hit me so deeply when I realized, I'm like, I was assuming she was getting them for others and she was. And, I'm, and she's saying, thank you so much, this really helps. And I'm like, like, the groceries help? Like, you need these? She goes, oh yeah, this is like making the difference. And I'm like, I don't know, I mean, it's probably, I mean, groceries are expensive, so it's probably like 100, 
you know, $100, $150 worth of groceries, but I'm like, this is the Bay Area and this is what's helping her meet her needs and cross over. That was really cool. That really touched me to see that here is someone right around me that I hadn't seen. But what touched me more is when we began to pray for her, she says, the prayer is helping. And I, she was physically feeling not good, you know, and we prayed and she started getting better. You know, it wasn't like a supernatural jump out of the wheelchair, throw it away, you know, and go running around. But it was that supernatural, like, you know, the spirit is moving. You can feel it. She's in tears, you're in tears. And like, like, you can feel the difference. Then she comes back the next week. She says, I'm feeling so much better. But what was so cool was not just her being touched in that one area, was what happened with her spirit restored. And she says, like, my business is getting turned around too. And I, like, I knew it wasn't like just because God was raining down. It was like the Lord was restoring her spirit, so now she had the brain space and the creativity to be awesome again. Folks, it's so beautiful and so powerful. Amen. What touched me so much out of that that I want to leave you with is salvation. We so much have a paradigm of salvation where we think we're sinners because we broke some arbitrary law, so we belong, we're, we're guilty according to the law. That's a very Roman, Greco-Roman paradigm of looking through it. And then we think of what Jesus did when he died on the cross was satisfy this standing, this legal standing, so that now, before the law, we can get moved from guilty to uh, uh, safe, innocent. That's not a wrong paradigm. That is one way of looking and understanding the cross, okay, and understanding redemption and what he did. But that's a very limited paradigm. The Hebraic understanding of salvation is very, very holistic. The word that Jesus uses when he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, is translated, is, the word is sozo. Sozo can be translated saved, it can tra be translated healed, it can be translated delivered. The way the Hebrews looked at salvation is you're in a problem. You know, the woman, when Jesus said, your faith has healed you, the woman with the issue of blood, he used the same word, sozo. In other words, he said, go, woman, your faith has saved you. Saved, healed, delivered. It's all together. You see, when Jesus is looking out, he doesn't separate the categories. Like, you know, these people are saved, but they're still miserable, depressed. These people are depressed, but they really need to be saved. They looked holistically. In other words, it's not about, oh, the person is generally okay, but at the end of their life, they're going to go to hell. It's more like people are living in hell right now the misery and the torment that they're in. And he has compassion upon their needs. And when he died, he died to set them free, that they may have life and life more abundantly. The Hebrews thought of salvation as something very tangible, something that would set you free. It's not about eternal life, isn't about something that just continues on forever. Eternal life is about the equality, the quality of life that comes down. And it's not something that you get when you die. It's something that you get right now. 
And when we understand this and let his compassion, first of all, minister to us and then let that love overflow to us, you know what the result's going to be? We're going to transform the world. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's uh, have a prayer. Let's take a break. Let's go until uh, 8.15 and then come back. And uh, after that, we're going to talk about the holiness of God and dive in deeper to his love for you. Amen? All right. We're going to go back to Gideon, and I want to talk about that more, and I want to contrast Gideon with Jesus. And my title, the word is holiness. So what's the word for today? Holiness. I uh, remember one Argentine pastor, Omar Olier, powerful, powerful, just pastor and evangelist. And... Um, he had a message, and he talked about the glory of the Lord. And I mean, just so you know who this guy is, he's, Ed Savoso sa said that he was the most anointed healing evangelist guy that he'd ever seen. So he was telling once about a crusade he had in his city in the revival in Argentina. And one of the testimonies that, he, that I heard him share, um, he's preaching this crusade, and um, there's this girl who doesn't have any arms. So she was born and her hands are sticking out of her shoulders. And she was so embarrassed about this condition, so filled with shame, she rarely came out of her house. So the first night of the crusade, she comes out and she's standing way in the back because she's, you know, she's shy. And he prays and he prays for miracles. And an arm grew out, just one arm. Wow, that's incredible. So she comes back the next night. Oh, she, she goes home, and it grows out at night. She comes back, goes back the next night. She's got one arm now. Still very embarrassed. Get, receives prayer, goes home, and that night, the other arm grows out. So she comes up, and she gives testimony on the platform, you know? And they're like, she, I didn't have any arms, and now I have arms. <laughs> and, and so Pastor Omar Olier says, so do something you couldn't do before. She gets in tears and she says, Pastor, you don't understand. I had no arms. This morning I put my pants on myself for the very first time in my life. Wow. This morning I brushed my teeth for the very first time in my life. This morning I combed my hair for the very first time in my life. So that's who Omar Olier is. Really cool guy. Um, and uh, he had this message on the glory of the Lord. So hearing all these, these, message, all these, these miracles, I'm like, Explain the glory of the Lord. And it was so powerful. He said, the glory is just his essence. It's who he is. It's the totality of his essence. His glory is who he is. Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. So when we're talking about holiness, we're just talking about Jesus. Knowing Jesus and being like him. So, uh, let's go to Judges. In, uh, the story of Gideon comes out of someplace in Judges. Judges 8. Six. Begins in 6. Yep. Okay, Judges 6. Where is Judges? Is this before Nehemiah? I had like, I had like a... Uh, uh, 
a bookmark right there so I could go and not waste cl precious class time. I found it. It's, it's, just, it's just after Judges 5. Okay, I talked about this, and I kind of want to review what I want to talk about, but I want to go in deeper, okay? So first of all, the first move that Jesus said, okay, well, to set the scene, you guys know the judges, okay? So you got Israel, you got the people of God, they're called of God, they're called out of Israel, they see all these signs, wonders. Uh, God uses Moses to call them out, and he brings down Egypt and Pharaoh, and the greatest empire in the world is brought to its knees. They leave with tremendous wealth and plunder. They then go, and with their hard hearts, they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. The whole generation dies, and now... You know, the next generation are able to lead them in, and Joshua leads them in. They conquer the promised land, you know, where they're promised to be. And then, you know, God has given them the law and gives them the promises and says, if you follow me, these, all these blessings will come after you. But if you don't follow me and you follow after idols and you do what the other people are doing that you're meant to displace, all these bad things are going to happen to you. Okay, pretty clear. And then he set up a system of ruling over them, and they had judges. And so sure enough, um, you know, Israel starts messing up, and then they're not getting the blessings anymore, and they're getting messed up, okay? So uh, Gideon is one in like the fourth or fifth, sixth, I don't know, sixth chapter, sixth judge. So it's a cycle. They, they, get, they disobey the Lord. Curses happen to them. A people oppress them. They don't like that, so they cry out to God. So God sends a deliverer. And then after they get delivered, they go back to their sin. So the deliverance lasts for a while. So they're pretty upset because the current oppressors are the Midianites. The Midianites are pretty bad people. They came in on herds and herds of camels, and they would just like, they'd be described them like locusts. They would just totally devour the fields. And they left Israel impoverished, enslaved. And so, uh, first thing, they cry out to God. God answers. He sends a prophet. And the prophet, you know, tells them what's going on. He says, uh, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all the oppressors. I drove them out before you. And uh, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. I told you, don't worship the foreign gods. And you did. Okay? So that's why you're messed up, because I told you not to worship the foreign gods, and you worship the foreign gods, so that's why you're messed up, okay? But then God finds Gideon, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Gideon is feeling like a coward. But let's set the stage a little bit. Gideon had succeeded in planting wheat, he'd succeeded in harvesting wheat, and he'd figured out a clever way to thresh it without the whole world knowing so that he could then eat it. So God comes and visits him and he says, Gideon, I'm going to use you. He prophesies over him. And Gideon doubts him. Okay. First thing I want you to see, it says there, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and Ophrah that belonged to Joas the Esbionite. The angel of the Lord is another name for who? Does anybody know? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. The angel of the Lord is generally accepted by Bible scholars that this is a pre-incarnate 
manifestation of Jesus. So the angel of the Lord, like a way of understanding that that I was explained in Bible school, it's like, you know how you say the city of Detroit? It's the city who is Detroit, right? The angel of the Lord, the angel who is the Lord. Okay, so Jesus came down. Wow, that's powerful. Jesus came and visited Gideon. Wow. I knew that and it just it hit me right now. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God sees Gideon as a mighty warrior. Folks, the Bible says that God loves you with the same love he loves Jesus. It says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. It says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. And it says in Hebrews that Jesus is not ashamed to call you his... Can anyone repeat that passage for me? It says in Hebrews that Jesus is not afraid to call you his brothers or sisters. Yeah, you are right, bro. That always used to hit me because it seems like there's something not right. Like, like okay, the, the author of Hebrews was you know, good and all, but missed that one point. <laughs> like, Jesus should not be ashamed to call us his children. Like, you know, we're, we're identified with him, but we're much lower than him. But no, that's not what it says. It says he's the firstborn among many brothers, and he's not ashamed to call us his brother. Wow. So, when Jesus started his public ministry, okay, he hadn't done any miracles yet. He gets baptized, and the voice comes from heaven, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. See, God was speaking an endorsement over Jesus and saying, he's my son, and Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He was, you see, oh, the, the, well, the world says you are what you do. You know, show me, prove it, prove it, prove it. And then we carry this chip on our shoulder trying to prove it all the time. And then the problem is you can never prove it. Because you prove it, but the person you're trying to impress doesn't really care. And God is so different than that. God gives us an identity and says, this is who you are. And now go walk in it. I'm going to empower you. Let's partner together. So God is showing up and he's seeing Gideon's future and he's calling his future as though it already were. And he says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. But before God could use Gideon, he had to restore his identity that's what you're supposed to fill in there. So that he, Gideon, could fulfill his destiny. And this goes over and over. The whole story of Gideon is his, him arguing with Jesus. I'm not really a mighty warrior. And Jesus says, no, you are a mighty warrior. And he says, I am going to be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And then Gideon says, give me a sign. Okay, I'll give you a sign. I'll wait here. You come back, offer me an offering. As soon as he comes back and offers him an offering, he gives him a sign. He consumes the offering. And then 
Then the angel of the Lord leaves, and Gideon knows he's met with God. But then the whole idea with, of a fleece. Okay, so now, now he steps out. And he, the first thing he does is God says, now tear down the idol that's in front of your father's house. Which is interesting. Just think about that. The idol was in front of Gideon's father's house. That means Gideon's father was the priest. <laughs> so God's not only choosing someone, he's choosing the son of the guy who's kind of leading the way in idolatry. Anyways, Gideon pulls it down, and God shows up and delivers him and speaks to his father and uses his father to, you know, to, to, to squell the crowd that, so they don't want to kill him. So Gideon takes these steps, and God comes through. And then this whole issue with the fleece, it was about, you see, Gideon knew what he was supposed to do. He wasn't trying to figure out what he was supposed to do. His question is, He's dealing with his own insecurity. Who am I? See, he doesn't know who he is. See, his initial question is, God, where are you? We heard that we were this special people who were set apart, that we're extraordinary, that we're not normal, but things aren't working out that way. And God has to restore him and say, no, you are special. The, and, you know, and the whole point is, you are very, very special, but the reason things aren't working out is because you're not living according to your identity. So the whole thing, the problem with Israel is they never understood who they were, so they went and worshipped these false gods. See, their identity, if you believe you're trash, you're going to go walk it out. You know, and if you grow up, I mean, poverty is, connect, is, is, is directly connected to language. If you grow up all your life and your parents are speaking over you, you're never going to amount to nothing. Just such a pain in the neck. You're just trash. You're just garbage. If they're speaking that negativity over you all the time, that's going to be internalized as your identity, and that's what you're going to walk out. And so for us to be restored... You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And the righteousness is not according to the law, not according to what you do. Because you see, we can do all the right things. But if inside we still believe that we're trash, that we're garbage, that we're junk, that it's just going to be a show and then we're going to collapse. You see, he gives us a righteousness by faith. See, we have to receive it first. Receive his identity. Why? Because there's no other way to get it. Because it's a premise. Because he loves you. Because it's a truth. Jesus didn't die so that you could suddenly be righteous. He died because you are his children. We've fallen from him and he wanted to restore us back to who we are. Our identity. So he's arguing with Gideon over and over and saying, No, I call you righteous. No, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, No, I'm not. But taking baby steps of obedience. And then begging with him, will you be with me? And God's, yes, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And each time he takes a step, God shows up that he's with him. So finally, now, it's interesting. When Gideon calls, out, calls everybody out, you know, and like how many showed up initially? Was it 10,000? What? Okay, so he calls him out. He calls out Israel, and about 20,000 people meet up. 
okay? Without going deep into the steps, you know, he keeps winnowing them out. And God says, that's too many, that's too many, that's too many, that's too many, until he finally winnows them down to 300. You remember the qualifications for the 300? They lapped the water like dogs. So what does that mean they did? They went down to the water, they were alert, they had their weapons, they grabbed the water, He actually winnowed out all, everyone else except the 300 that were the best. The 300 that stayed alert. The 300 that knew Midianites are out there, that could read the sides of the times, and if I go down and lay on my belly and start drinking like that, they may attack at any moment. It's so interesting. See, you look back and you say, God had a plan all along. Then, after he winnows them down to the 300, see, he needed to get 300 that would be disciplined. Because God had a plan that was outside of the box, but it wasn't irrational. I'm going to use 300 to re... But what did he need? He needed 300 who could be very, very quiet, could follow orders. 300 who wasn't about themselves. 300 who weren't arrogant and cocky and didn't think that, you know, on their own. You see, what I love is seeing the spiritual nature also, but also as you look back to see that God was a brilliant general. So what did they do? They had a torch inside a pot. And they had a shofar, right? All of them did. They gathered around the Midianites... And God had already sent a spirit of fear. You remember? You know, they'd been hearing the rumors. They'd been hearing the dreams. (laughs) And see, then God anointed Gideon's plan. The plan that he had given Gideon. You see, God had called Gideon, and he says, the same cleverness that you had figured out how to plant wheat without anybody, how to harvest wheat without anybody stopping you, and then how to, how to, how to thresh it without anybody stopping you, I'm going to give you a plan to just multiply that, and we're going to do some guerrilla warfare together, and I'm going to show you what can happen when my anointing comes upon your clever planning. And he says, I'm wanting to partner with you. Gideon, your people are super special. There's something different about you. I'm on their side. And Gideon, you're very, very special. You have a friend, you have a backer who's extraordinary, who takes your gifts and can anoint them. You see that? So then Gideon goes out. He needed 300 people who would be disciplined, who could get in place quietly, who aren't going to make a misstep, and who aren't going to have egos because they have to call the same thing for the Lord and for Gideon. And then simultaneously, they all break the pots. This bright light shines all around, and they sound these shofars. And I imagine a shofar probably represents a troop of like a hundred or multiple hundreds. Look at the cleverness. 300 people. There's only 300 there. So they're going to get in place without you ever hearing them. But every single one of them has a shofar. So that they think there's thousands and thousands of them shocks them, and the Lord anoints that and sends them into this 
confusion. It's interesting, though. We think that Gideon and his 300 defeated the Midianites. All of it, it was God, but he anointed them, and it was all of Israel. Because as soon as they scared the, the Midianites, as soon as they turned the tide of the battle, all of Israel chased them down. So the same people he sent home came back and were part of the battle. The 300 were the catalyst. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. But see, for Gideon to be activated, it had to begin with his identity. It's interesting, then, as this, as this goes on and on, he chases them down, and, he, you know, one group of Israelites get mad at him because he never called them out. And they said, you know, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. This is in chapter 8. But he answered them, What have I accomplished according to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grapes, grape harvest of uh, Abiezer? God gave you Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to that? At this, their resentment against him subsided. Okay? So I want, to see, I want you to see how, it, it, to me, that's a picture of him now underneath the, uh, underneath the anointing, where now he's flowing in his identity and he's secure in that. Okay? So now he's won this decisive victory, but now there's an opportunity for him to lose it all again because these are the guys that he's got to lead. And if he gets all, what do you got? Gets into a big fight, Israel fights with each other, and then the Midianites get away. But you see how at that moment when he's secure in his identity, they can flow, and now the help that he needs comes along, and he doesn't have to take credit for it, and it just flows on. Okay? You get that? You see that out of that? Yeah. I'm building up to something here. I'm running out of time again. Okay. Anyways, into chapter 8. So now Gideon's won this battle. And the Israelites say to Gideon, Rule over, over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. So now Gideon has won the battle. Israel is no longer the oppressed and the slave. Now they're the head and not the tail. Everything's hunky-dory and everyone's happy. And now they want Gideon to rule over him. And look at Gideon's response. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Doesn't that sound so spiritual? Something's not right there. God was saying, I'll go with you. He was saying, Gideon, I'm putting my hand upon you. Gideon, you're going to say the call, and the call is for the Lord and for Gideon. I'm wanting to partner with you. Why does God hate idolatry so much? Because he created mankind in his image. No one's meant to represent him except his children. And we represent him, Jesus, the ultimately. Jesus represents him. And we're called to represent him. You know, that's why Paul can say, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's a scary thing to say. But I can tell you, if you can't, there's really no way out. If you, you know, if you to your child say, follow Jesus, don't really follow me because, you know, I'm imperfect. You're going to be doing the same thing Gideon has done. 
Because your kid is going to follow you the way you're following Jesus, like it or not. Now, God's full of grace and he's going to come down. But if you say follow Jesus and you don't realize the conviction upon that, because kids imitate what you do, not what you say. Right? There's no safe way out. Gideon was looking at a safe way out. You see, as soon as he'd won the victory. He said, no, no, no. And he spiritualized, and I'm not going to rule over you. My son's not going to rule over you either. Instead, I just have one request. Give me some gold and let's make you a nice little idol. Wow. And he said, I do have one request. That each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. And they got all the plunder. And then 27. Gideon made the gold into an ephod. Oh, but see, it's okay because it's a Jewish idol. that he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping up there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. And if you read on, his son became a very wicked, evil ruler and oppressed the people. So the legitimate son who was meant to lead, not rule and oppress, but to lead into the presence of God, never stepped into his identity, Never followed through on what, oh man, folks, this brings the fear of God on me. Right after Gideon wins this great victory, he makes an idol. You see, Jesus was trying to get him to look forward. Let's redefine your experience according to your identity. Let's not say God's at fault and he's abandoned you. No, say God is not at fault. He's with you. He's chosen you and you're special and things are going bad because you're not walking with him because you're worshiping idols. Let's stop that and let's start worshiping God and let's move forward. Let's realize that you're special and I'm going to lead you to let all of Israel know how special they are. And I'm going to get you to find the 300 that are most worthy, that are most ready to do that, that are most prepared, because I've been speaking to them also, and they're going to get alongside of you, and they're going to follow me, and I'm going to partner with you. You're going to go in this strength, because I see something in you. See, it wasn't God just coming down in a void, and I'm going to do it all. No, I'm going to partner with you, Gideon. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to anoint your history. See, you think you've only been surviving, but you've been a guerrilla warfare leader in wow. training wow. all this time. Wow. You just haven't thought it. You thought I'd abandon you. No, he hasn't abandoned you. Wow. He's been training you. Now I want to partner with you. We're going to find 300 that have the same spirit. They're going to partner with me. And then I need you to let, you know, we're going to send some of them away because they're not going to get the glory. Because I want all the glory. But they're going to come back. And when they come back, you've got to welcome them in. Because you need them too. Yeah. You, to win the victory. You did good. You walked it all the way up. But then after you've done. Oh, now he's looking backwards. And let's memorialize what God has done. And God says, stop looking backwards. Faith is not what you've seen. Faith is the evidence of what you've not seen yet. Yes. Let's keep walking forward. And the opposite of what he said, his, his, oh man, his son, after that, Abimelech, was an evil guy. And it was the illegitimate son, because he was meant to continue to lead them. And his son was meant to continue to lead them, the way Jesus leads them, as a servant, as a judge, not a king, not the way the others did, not oppressing, not ruling and oppressing them. Okay. 
That's Gideon. That's the challenge. Now let's go to Hebrews. Oh yeah, yeah. Those, those. All yeah, the question here, Pastor. Okay, question. All right. Okay, question. Someone had a question? Yeah, this little voice behind. Yes. Um, is it ephod and idol? No. Oh yeah. Uh, idol. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gideon fashioned an ephod, which was an idol, a nice Jewish idol, something they were comfortable with. And all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. Why? Because they didn't understand who they were. And because Gideon, after he won his victory, began looking forward and memorialized the victory as opposed to memorializing the God and the partnership that God had created that created the victory. Are we better than Gideon? By God's grace, let's do better than Gideon. We have more available to us. And we have Gideon's story specifically recorded for this very reason. So that we can learn these lessons. Now let's go to Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. Why? Well, I put several lines there because I wanted to have an interaction. What do you think the why is? Why? Why what? What's the oh, oh, oh. Um, what does why refer to? Um, okay, why did, why did Gideon, okay, the why is, why do you think Gideon made that idol? Put that back. He wanted to bow out? Yeah, he wanted to bow out of his responsibility. My God! It's, it's hard to live up to your true identity. Intimacy is hard. We push God away. Being healed is hard if we're comfortable with our own mess. If we're comfortable being a victim. I'm sorry, the second line after idol is what? No, uh, after his victory, Gideon fashioned an ephod, which was an idol. Oh, yeah, you could go either way. Grammatically, yeah. you could go either way. You fashioned an idol, which was an ephod. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, school teacher. Yes? Thinking about the why did he say to Gideon, why did Gideon make the idol? And he said that it's hard to accept his identity, the responsibility that we have. Is that why so many people that become Christians, they cannot accept their identity? I think that's one of the reasons I think you like Christians were so often like the abused woman who's a victim. The abused woman, okay? She got abused, that's all she knows. Men abused her, her father abused her all her life, so then she is attracted because she feels so much like trash inside that she resonates with a husband who abuses her. So you get her out of that relationship, she'll go into another relationship that's just as toxic. And I think many, many times we're like that as Christians. God dramatically saves us out of this. But the challenge of intimacy and of being whole, we want to go back like a dog to our vomit. So what did we do to help somebody like that? We got five more minutes for me to show Jesus and show the opposite example. What can we do? Pray and intercede. And deep intercession. It's prayer evangelism to the next level. Okay, I'll show you what Jesus did. It's in uh, Hebrews 5. 
So here he is, Jesus, a high priest, like us. He's like us. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He invented it and he perfected it. He finished it. He tested it all out. And he's not one who was sinless. He was tempted. He was weak like all of us. Can have this attitude that was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, became a servant, humbled himself to the point of death, even death upon the cross. Jesus came down, he humbled himself. But see, he laid aside all the privilege of his position. But he never laid aside the conviction and the understanding of who he was and his identity. Wow. So Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth. This is in that context of him saying, you know, Hebrews, we understand that Jesus was 100% God. Amen. We understand that he was 100% man. Amen. Just like you. When Jesus gave a prophecy, he got it from the Holy Spirit. It's not like he was omniscient. When Jesus was a baby, you know, all the time, like he knows everything. No, he moved under the same Holy Spirit that we have. Amen. Yes, yes. When Jesus was a baby, you know, and his diaper was, was, you know, he messed his diaper. And he needed Mary to change him. And when he was crying, he wasn't like, I'm holding the whole universe together, but I'm playing the <laughs> Oh, the whole universe is being held together. And I see what's happening over there. Blah, blah, blah. No, he's a baby. He's crying because his bottom hurts and he's starting to get a rash. And he needs Mary to change his diaper. And he's crying because he's hungry. Wow, he was a man, 100% man, just like us. Wow. Okay. In that context, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. What did he do? He continually prayed and cried out because he knew, my God, that the circumstances, he didn't let the circumstances determine his identity. His identity could never be suppressed by the circumstances. He went through his whole life and saying, man, I'm humble, I'm broken, we're poor, Israel is meant to be delivered, and he fought against that his whole life with the prayers and with his petition, with the intercession. And when he healed someone, he was, he was filled with joy, but he also saw that he had to break death. And he was focused on it, and his identity was driving him, and he was speaking it out through prayers and fervent petitions. And because he prayed and he interceded, he was able to walk it out. And he became the fountain of salvation for all of us. Man. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. See, Gideon is suffering and he's lost his identity. Jesus is suffering and being perfected. He's learning obedience. Wow. Uh, okay, I gotta, I'm going to touch on this, and then we're going to park it here and come back next week. Okay? The last one is John 10, verse 11. Gospel of John. Really quickly. I want to go over the 
Oh, oh. Jesus' identity defined his circumstances. Actually, we should change that. Jesus' identity transformed his circumstances. Jesus' identity, see, that was the premise. He knew who he was. So put me in whatever situation. It doesn't matter. It's not going to hold me because I know who I am. And I know who's with me. Oh, man. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Jesus right there is showing us how we help those people that are caught in that cycle of the broken identity. That we can get them out of the situation. You know, like you can get the kid out of the ghetto. It's a lot harder to get the ghetto out of the kid. And we can apply that to so many other circumstances. How do we help those people? Well, we start by helping ourselves. And understanding this pattern in ourselves so that we can let Jesus transform us. So that we can realize that the identity, see, the identity only comes by faith. And faith is received by hearing the Word and the Word of God. You're not going to get faith out of your circumstances. Even the testimonies, I'm hearing these testimonies up here, and I was thinking this at the beginning. Some of you are looking and thinking, wow, you know, if things go well, then I'll know this really works. <laughs> and we've got to go a lot deeper because it's requiring a full-on commitment because I'll tell you, a lot of times things get worse before they get better. And it's got to come from the inside out, okay? I'm going to start out next week um, homework for next week, read chapters 1 to 3 of Anointed for Business, and look over the notes that I shared with you. Uh, we'll, do the, we'll cover those second half. The first half, we're going to go right into John chapter 10, and we're going to talk about the difference between being a hired hand and being a good shepherd. All right? So if you're touched and feeling the anointing of God, and you want to walk out and understand your identity, stand up, open up your hearts, and I'm going to pray for you and then release you. Yes, do you have a question? Uh, you just get to read that in preparation for next week. Okay? So just look over that. We're going to cover that next week. Lord will. Okay? If you want to fill it out, you can. Uh, you can play fill out bingo. All right. We're going to pray before we close. So if you want to. Question. Yes. So this, uh, this handout, we'll find it in the book. I know. Let's uh, find it in the book. This is up. You can look over that handout. I'm going to cover the five pivotal paradigms that are essential for nation transformation next week. So if you look over that, you'll have a lot of questions. Come with questions. Prep your mind to receive them. Okay? So just read over that. You can ask any questions next week. All right? Thank you. All right. Stand up. Open up your hearts. Good stuff. Come on, guys, ask some questions. I've been engaging. What? I've been engaging. What? All right.
Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just open up our hearts, Lord. Father, and we see, Lord, we've done like what Gideon did over and over and over again, Lord. Father, Lord, even those of us who are walking in faith, we win a victory so often, just like that, we look back and memorialize the victory, Lord, instead of continuing to look forward by faith, Lord. Lord, we want to celebrate what you've done, but we also want to look forward. Lord, Jesus did nothing but what he saw his Father doing. The only place he could see that was in the Spirit and in his prayers with him. Lord, that you showed it to him. You showed him what you would be doing, what you were doing right then, Lord. Oh, Father God, Lord, he modeled this partnership, Lord. Lord, that we lost when, 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 when we fell in the garden, Lord. He walked with you. And He revealed to you, Lord. And we just say unashamedly that Jesus, You are our Savior and we are on Your side. You are the author and perfecter of my faith. Say, You're the author and perfecter of my faith. You're my leader. I follow You, Jesus. Now, heal us, Lord. Pull out the old identity, Lord, and give us Your identity, Lord. Lord, call out who we truly are. We say who we truly are is who you say we are. What you speak is truth. So right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just break lies off of anybody. And I say what Jesus says is true. The reason you don't believe a lie is because it's not true. It's a lie. You're not a failure. You're not rejected. You're not trashed. You're not stupid. You're created. You're so much. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, deliver us, Lord, so that we can be empowered to go out, partner with you, and transform our world together with you. Amen.